All right, so welcome back, everyone. It's great to have Dr. Peterson back with us to discuss the topic of work and stress. Today, we want to expand things out a little bit more and look at your study that looked at work stress in America. The focus of the study was to clarify how American culture itself contributes to our ongoing issues related to work stress. So what is it about being American that makes us so susceptible to distress? Well, that's a great question, uh, Tony. And one of the things that, um, you know, to understand is that we have a, a distinct history and a distinct culture. It's different from other nations, the way we were settled, the way we started. And we also have a very a strong foundation. You know, there's that, that undergirding that sort of supports and drives who we are as Americans. Um, mm-hmm. To be American isn't just isn't just by ethnicity. It's not necessarily by race or anything like that. What it is, is there's a specific set of values that we have that kind of, um, that define who we are, but also they are things, when you do look at the topic of stress, they can contribute to our stress levels and our interpretation of how we go through life and the stressors that we experience. Right. So then what are the American values that make us susceptible and why do they contribute to our stress experiences? Well, I think, I think there's a number of values. I think one of the, the first ones that really kind of strikes us is the value we have of work and wealth. In other words, it, it really stems from an, a, a, the health wealth doctrine that was both part of Wesleyan Calvinistic um, religious thought Uh, In other words, it suggests that righteous individuals will receive the abundance of God's blessings as demonstrated by visible signs such as their wealth and Mm well-being. So a healthy and wealthy person is clearly a person that is blessed by God and is a person that uh, God favors. And so when you look at this, we, we tend to subconsciously or consciously sort of assess ourselves by this health wealth doctrine. It's not necessarily theologically accurate, but it is one that kind of undergirds who we are as a nation. Yeah. So in part of this is people will say, say, you know, you know, you shouldn't be like idle hands are the devil's workshop and we must be productive and, you know, work hard. It's sort of, it's sort of summed up in the Protestant work ethic, you know, work hard and you will be rewarded. And so when you think about that, you know, we, we, we really are a culture that does things, right? We are very involved in doing yeah. and performing and achieving. And we measure ourselves and we, we sort of uh, um, kind of label ourselves based on our level of achievement and what we attained and the materialistic benefits that we, what we attain. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're materialistic as in the, like that we pursue goods for the sake of pursuing goods. That's not American. Right. Mm-hmm. What we do is we pursue merit materialistic acquisition as proof of our ability, our accomplishments, and, and to one extent, our righteousness. So we have this sort of view in the sense that by doing things and achieving things, we are a good person. Right. See what we've done. See what I've been able to do. See what I've been able to accomplish. But the problem with this is that it, it, it leads to an endless, passionate, grasping, searching, and striving for material gains, pleasures, comforts that sort of permeate our American psyche. Yeah. We continually want these things because they're characteristics of us being good, right? And it sort of also leads to the state of always being in a hurry. We have mm-hmm. to do things as quickly as possible because 
We only have so much time on earth. Time is short. And so this brevity spurs us on to really try to do as much as possible in as short as time as possible, right? So that we can prove our level of righteousness, right? And therefore, we get the benefits that God would bestow upon us and because of our, our work and our hard level. It's very much part of a, a works-based philosophy, right? And in theological terms, it would be work-based or performance-based religion, right. which Americans sort of have a proclivity towards, right? I do all these things and therefore God owes me stuff, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and there's certain preachers out there on television who will fill up auditoriums and arenas that preach this to the American people. And the American people are very susceptible to it because we have this undergirding of this this, this health value for health and wealth and the, and the work that it takes to get there. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that there's a constant struggle uh, to always find the shortest path possible in order to get there. Yes. So, yeah, so if you don't get like, if you don't get your kids in the right nursery school, right? You know, it's like, oh, that's terrible. They'll be held back. They won't be in the best schools, right. and they won't be able to get the high performance. And there's this ongoing stress that people have in order to to just be able to maximize the amount of time that they have and get the shortest, you know, line between point A and point B. And that's one of the reasons why oftentimes, uh, for example, college students always worry and feel bad that they're behind. Like, for example, yeah. if I dropped out of school for a couple of years and I come back and I'm now with class with students two to three or four years my junior, it's like, oh, how bad I am because I'm not making good use of my time. Yeah. And, and then, then there's the idea that when you always are pursuing, always doing, always working, always achieving there's this always underlying stress that we aren't quite there yet. In other words, we never really achieve it. So this leads to a sense of impatience and frustration that becomes part of the American psyche. You know, we're frustrated that we can't get things done so quickly or on time or, you know, we're not as patient as a people that, you know, might be. And so this all sorts of leads to all sorts of different outcomes that can be somewhat problematic and especially you know people are constantly pursuing this wealth that's there and this this also in the workplace leads to sorts of a proclivity towards what we call culturally valued levels of performance productivity growth and advancement and achievement and we feel good about who we are by getting raises and promotions and you know certain salary levels and all the things that are there. Mm -hmm. And if we don't get them, we feel like uh, somehow I'm not measuring up or somehow I'm not I'm not being blessed as I should be or I think I should be, which then creates additional distressors. Mm -hmm. And so this ongoing um, you know focus and belief that action and hard work will bring about our individual de desires is really what we call effort optimism. So if I work hard, I'll get good out results. But ultimately, this lies at what we talked about before. This is the cornerstone of the effort reward imbalance and why it becomes so stressful, especially right. to Americans. If you don't get what you think you should get, it becomes even it's not just I, it's not fair. It means that God didn't bless me. Right. Or <laughs> right. I feel that something else is going on. That is beyond. And I feel bad about it. So it's so it's both a loathing of self and a in a in a in a feeling of, of anger towards the people who didn't reward you. So we right. get these kind of double things that go on. 
And then, and this also happens when managers in, in organizations or people in charge don't reward employees appropriately for the work that they do. It actually, um, it creates a, a, an additional distressor. And so managers, by not rewarding people when they think they should be or when it's warranted, can actually have a, a deeper influence than what we might want to think. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's important for managers to provide good feedback and to provide um, other things that are there. So that's the first one, is the value of work and, and wealth and, the, and the, the proclivity we have for this health wealth doctrine that, although not theologically sound, is, is, right. is a cause of, of what, we, what we really believe. Another one of value is the perfectibility or belief in the perfectibility of humanity. In other words, we can we can do better, we can be better, and mm-hmm. we can create a better future. And this leads to a constant struggle to overcome our faults and failures and creates in us a I must try harder mentality. You know, we, we just okay, if I, I didn't succeed, I gotta try harder next time. Right. Right. So what, and we do this with our kids. Like we say things like, what did you learn from the experience? Yep. (laughs) And how could you do better next time? Yeah. So the onus is always on the individual to take responsibility and work harder, Mm -hmm. right? Because hard work pays off, right? Because that's what we talked about before. Mm -hmm. And so this, this whole belief in the perfectibility of humanity is kind of summed up in the concept of progress. So we're always thinking about making things better, progressing. Right. We're not thinking about what works. We're just thinking about making change. Right. So our progress and our flux create even even like changes in in our in words that we use. Right. There's words today that we use that we would never, ever have used before. Right. You think about the Internet and the words that come out out of texting that now become acceptable things that you can say. And people totally know what you mean. Yeah. For example, you can use three letters like LOL and everybody knows, oh, laugh, laugh out loud, uh-huh, right. right? You know, otherwise, you know, 20, 25 years ago it was like, lol, what's lol? <laughs> you know? yeah. But, but it's, it's progress. We put new words in, we change and we do things. Yeah. And so it's almost like a messianic path that we tend to consider ourselves on, that we must, that humanity must traverse um, a continual progress all right a, a path towards progress and it's something that we can only glimpse at but we're always trying to achieve it there's this this there is this utopia that we are working towards but we're never ever trying getting there we keep falling yeah. we keep seeking we keep writing ourselves often disappointed and often distressed and this is because we we, we want to make things better but we're really not in many cases we make it worse you can think of the can the current COVID situation that we've talked about. Yeah. Right. It's, it's that the cure has been worse than the disease mm-hmm. and it's because we're trying to make things better and rather than setting back and really thinking about it, it becomes problematic, mm-hmm. but this has been historic. I mean, we've done this for years, always trying to make things better, always trying to improve. Like for example, in, in, in the 1840s, you know, the shipping industry was sort of taken over from the British by the Americans. And the reason they did that was because they were able to make ships that only lasted four to five years, right? They were, they were sort of had a shelf life. Mm-hmm. And, and so they would always come up with new technologies to make them faster and better, where the British would, would build a ship that would last 100 years. Mm-hmm. Well, technology changes over 100 years. So that 100-year-old right. ship was a relic. It was a Model T, right? Right. As opposed to a Maserati. And, yeah. and, so, <laughs> and so, so, so essentially, they, they did that. And, 
and we we always kind of move towards that. It's it's part of our. It's also what we call creative destruction. It's part of our DNA, if you will, as an American culture. Mm-hmm. We continually break things down to build them back up, and this, of course, creates an environment where things are changing, where things are moving. Things have to be flexible. You have to adapt. And one of the biggest stressors out there is experiencing change, right? And so we, by definition, as American culture, change things all the time, right? And so we right side, we left side, we upside, we downsize, we do all sorts of things in our pursuit of making things better, all right, easier, healthier, more enjoyable, right? And so we constantly reinvent ourselves, right? And, And this is part of this progress, And this is also what spurs on sort of cultural changes, even at the social level. We have seen a a big movement towards social changes, all in the guise of progress. Well, people say, oh, progress, progress must be good. But we've never challenged (laughs) that as a culture and said, well, maybe some progress is bad. Maybe progress isn't helpful and actually can be very injurious and distressful. And so we have this we have this. well, we, we, we are fertile for distressors as a culture to change. We, oh, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's a better idea. Oh, this is good. Not testing it out, not thinking about it. We just jump on the bandwagon of change and progress mm-hmm. because it's it seems to be good. And this, I mean, even historically, this has led to place changes in the workplace, like Taylorism. They call it scientific management, but essentially dehumanized the American worker in a factory-like, an assembly-line um, uh, structure. And this uh, led to all sorts of issues during the 1920s and 30s of job satisfaction studies and stress right. at work and mental health issues and all sorts of things. So if for American workers to survive in a cultural norm of human perfectibility, it really necessitates a devotion to hard work, personal improvement, growth, and adaptability to change. And above all, it creates in us a basic tension that undergirds our lives. So we believe in the perfectibility of man. However, we are clear-eyed enough to recognize our failures. And that's true. We do know this from the joke. But, but this requires us to look within ourselves. And sometimes that's not possible. Americans, as we said, are cognitively oriented also to what we call an implied agent, which means we always try to find a cause for something. Even though there may be one. So we will jump to conclusions more easily and say, this is the cause of our stress or this is the cause of the problem. Um, like if you look at the COVID issue that we're going through right now, why is it a virus? Why is it air pollution? Why isn't it other toxins in the environment? Why is it all not all these other things? We're only looking. It's what we call an ill for a pill for an ill. It's one okay. thing to one one area. We don't look at things from a systems level. We, in other words, multiple things could be potentially contributing to an, a, a problem. We look for one cause and therefore we say, okay, this person did it or this virus caused it or this situation is, you know, led to this rather than saying, well, let's look at this a little more broadly. Maybe it's a little more complex than that. And so, right. There's kind of yeah. like that shortcut piece that you were talking about earlier. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it, we were looking for the shortest gain to things and that's, that can be pro- very problematic. Uh, and what we do. And then we also, another value that kind of comes up is the equality of condition. We believe that things should be equal, right? The equality that, and we, we don't mean equality in the sense that equal outcomes, that's something that's a, a socialist or a communist um, 
uh, ideology. We believe, though, in what we call equality of condition, which means everyone has equal opportunity to succeed. Right. And, and this belief is, is demonstrated also in terms of how we treat each other, because historically, Americans, if you went overseas, if you met another American, didn't matter what their social status was, you would go, oh, well, that's that's an American. Hey, how you doing? Right, let's right. See, you know, where are you from? I'm from Indiana. Where are you from? I'm from, <laughs> you know, Texas. And then they would you know, say, oh, it's great. Why are you here? And that kind of stuff. Whereas in other cultures, if you were not from the right social class, even though you were from the same country, you wouldn't associate with them. Right. right. Britain has that history. Right. Yeah. They still to some extent do that. Lower class, upper class. You know, we don't associate with the riffraff. Right. right. And that's kind of what was part of this. We tend to view each other as equals. And that's why we don't like people to pull rank on us. We hate it. It mm-hmm. creates stress when people think they're better than we are. We, we tend to take we're more sensitive to that. Right. Because we say, well, no, you're no better than me. You're a person just like I am. And right. We kind of have that as our, our, our basis. And this also means that we're, we're, we're a little more uh, um, cognizant of fairness. So we, we look at fairness a little bit more as to, am I being treated as an equal or am I not? Mm-hmm. And if I am not, that's distressful. And this is also is based on what we call our, our Judeo-Christian background uh, or principles. Because the country really was based and founded on Judeo-Christian principles, despite naysayers who have seriously not looked at history. But the idea is that, you know, it's the good neighbor principle or what we call the golden rule, you know, treat others as the way you would want to be treated. And that's sort of a foundational um, underpinning for American culture uh, historically. So, so fairness is, is, is really a, a part of that. But at the same time, equality as a cultural value, does it really does have a dark side because the same equality that makes independent of uh, each of us, fellow citizens in particular, leaves each of us isolated and without defense against the actions of the greatest number. And so the idea behind this is that if you if equality of condition is, is if you don't have sufficient resources can actually kind of leave you um, at a, in a vulnerable position. In other words, people with more power and money can influence you than, than those um, that um, if you don't have as much. So then this also leads to an issue if we're all equal, well, we all don't want to stay equal, right? right? And if you couple this with our health wealth, it tends to, and our need for to be sort of a proof of our, our material gain as a proof of our righteousness, it leads to a sense of competition. And mm-hmm. this is another type of stress. Right. So competition becomes an American social societal norm. So we sort of look at these things and we start saying, well, equality in light of our value of work and wealth focuses our need for achievement to be visible and measurable. So we really need to have people say to us that, you know, what we've achieved is visible, not just something that's hidden someplace. Right. Because my equality of condition has led to these great outcomes because of my effort. Right. And and that has but when that isn't materialized if your equality and your fairness isn't there um, and, and you can't achieve what you need to t- achieve, it can lead to other types of what we call personal distress. You feel that you're a failure, you feel that you're not measuring up, or you'll go the other way and say things aren't fair, right, to me, even though the quality condition might be there, and it leads to making an applied agent, which then is blaming others for your lack of performance. Right. And so that's also a proclivity. We do this as a human nature, but we also do this as part of 
uh, it, it kind of leads to this entitlement mentality. You know, yeah. I should have all this stuff or right. it could lead to that type of thing. All right. So the other, other thing that we talk about, and this is really important, is our, our belief in um, individualism, which really is tied to the principle of freedom. Right. And, and it's and there's an undergoing tension between this equality of condition, what we just talked about, where we have equal, we're treated equal, we're the same in that sense, and individuality or freedom. See, freedom and equality are two things that sort of um, oppose one another. How can I be truly free if everything is equal? Mm-hmm. And that's the problem in communism and socialist states is that everyone's equal. So therefore, there's but in order to do that, you have to deny people freedom. You have to right. deny people the, the, the fruits of their labor. You have to deny them certain things in order to make everyone have equal outcomes. And so we have this undergoing tension here. So, yeah, we believe in equality of condition. Right. And, and people and politicians do try to make it push it towards equality of, of outcome which is sort of the antithesis of American culture. Mm -hmm. But we also believe in individual freedom. So I should be able to determine my fate, my destiny, my future, my, you know, my decisions, my choices. And so we tend to have a high focus on control and autonomy. So we really want a control over our lives. We want to be autonomous. We want to be able to make our own decisions about how we live our lives and where we live and what we do and things like that. Uh, we don't want to be told that this is what you're going to be doing, right? We we want to be able to have a say. We want to be able to have some kind of uh, control over what we do and how we do it. And so this also, you know, in order to do that, it, you sort of have to be somewhat self-reliant. You also have to be somewhat entrepreneurial. So we do have an entrepreneurial spirit in America, and it's based on this idea of freedom, because who is most free in a workplace? Well, the people who start their own businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So those are the ones. If you work for a corporate corporation, you are but one of many, and other people will dictate what you do, how you do it, and when you come to work and when you leave, right? And what you get paid and how you do it. So this idea behind individualism has also spurred this idea of entrepreneurship and being able to set our own goals and to pursue them. So one is expected to be self-reliant as well. So we expect people to take responsibility for their lives. And we expect people to be self-reliant and not and, and be able to make our own decisions. And so, so we really have this underlying um, condition or a thought or sort of focus on control, right? That yeah. is sort of what underlies our, our belief in individualism. Right. And the idea, though, is that in today's society, it's really hard to have control as an individual, as you can see, just, you know, just living today in the, you know, 2020. Um, It's hard to do that. So we do what we tend to what we have been doing is we try to gain control through associations. And so this this is a reflection of what we call a. um, it comes out of our need for individuality comes our, we exert that in our control through groups that believe the same way we do. Right. So you can actually, um, you know, get your way, if you will, by working with other people as a group to impose your will or your way on others. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of has led to a lot of what I would call conflict between politicians, politics. It's led to all sorts of issues with, um, you know, activism and things like this, where people are trying to impose their view of how to live life on other people. 
right? And so there's this undergirding that's here in a free society in which people have to be able to, um, uh, you know, they want their, to make their own individual outcomes, but at the same time, they have to do it by imposing their will on others. And this leads to an ongoing tension and distress in America. Right. It's why, it's why politicians and politics get so heated. It's why, you know, people lament and have, um, you know, derangement syndromes, if you will, uh, because someone gets elected. It's because their way isn't being achieved and they feel it thwarted and their, their ability to exercise their individuality is being, you know, um, uh, suppressed. Right. So anyway, so this is just a couple of things. And it's the last one I will just, just mention that leads to a lot of distress is time thrift. We're so time oriented. Everything is based on productivity per unit of time, performance, yeah. how much we achieve in a certain amount of time. And this puts a lot of haste, pressure, hurriedness, a sense of having to get as much as possible in a short period of time as possible. You know, it's just it creates this tension and ongoing distress. And so anyway, so those are the basic uh, values that really undergird American culture, well documented in, in our cultural literature uh, that sort of impose upon us a feeling of constant distress. Right. So then if American culture as a whole is susceptible to work stress, what would you say we could do to help prevent it? Well, I think a couple of things are really important. One is by understanding the ourselves and our culture, we're better able to identify what may be causing the stress and whether it's really warranted or not. Sometimes we are, the funny thing about culture, as I mentioned before, it's very deep, very broad, uh, and very influential. And sometimes we don't know even why we think the way that we do. But right. if you understand the cultural context in which you exist or where you grew up in, you begin to understand, well, maybe I don't need to be so hurried. Maybe I don't need to be on a certain timeline. Maybe I don't need to, you know, yeah. certain things that are causing this distress. Uh, and to also to understand that we as a people, which is kind of interesting, as Americans, we seek stress. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, it isn't something that we just comes upon us. We actually create it and we create it by our culture and we create it by our activities and behaviors. Yeah. So by understanding that, that helps us better able to address it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the best thing to do is to really sit back and self-reflect and think, why do I think the way that I do? And if I do think this way, what are the potential outcomes of that way of thinking? Right. And to really focus on this, that means turn your social media off, turn off the TV, sit and think, oh, wow. right? <laughs> and, re yeah, and, really, and really just analyze and do some self-introspection and ask yourself, is this really something I value? Is this, and is this value going to be helpful to me or not? I'm not saying don't be American. What right. I'm saying in any culture, there are things that are going to be distressful. And if you're suffering from distress, you may want to take a broader look and not just look and say, you know, I, my stress is because of my friend. My stress is because of this or that. Well, it may be it's something bigger that is driving the way that you're thinking and perceiving the world around you. And yeah. that would be the American culture. Because that why because we live here and yeah. we experience it day by day yeah. yeah all right well it was great to have you share your thoughts and ideas related to this important topic thank you Dr Peterson for your time and expertise so that concludes um, our work and stress podcast series 
For more health-related podcasts and interesting articles, please go check out Get Up and Do Something at G-U-A-D-S dot org. So till next time, this is Tony, your host of the Quads Uplift podcast series.